Hello, welcome to episode 19 of the Karma Sense Foodcast, the last episode of 2016. I'm Davey H., and this isn't the book of lists, it's the foodcast of lists. Miley, I hope you don't hate me. And playing that song isn't some passive-aggressive way of me saying I hate you, the Foodcast audience. What I do hate is all the email I get with listicles of stuff that I either should do or not do to be healthier, happier, and... Oh yeah, save the world. Now, I don't really hate the lists themselves. In fact, I love lists. As a kid, I occupied my time by reading books like The Guinness Book of World Records. I'd read it cover to cover. I really did. Ask my sister's old boyfriend, Billy Kovach. And no, I didn't retain everything I read. But to this day, I remember that Robert Wadlow was and is the tallest man to ever live. He was almost nine feet tall and grew up in the Midwest. It's true I don't remember his exact height or birthplace, but what I just told you is what I remember without checking Wikipedia or anything. I just remember random stuff. Another pre-internet source of this useless skill was the Book of Lists, a reference book filled with nothing but lists. Like the Guinness Book of World Records, it was meant for random page flipping while sitting on the toilet or something. These books weren't really meant for reading like you'd read a novel. Unless, of course, you have a superpower for remembering useless facts. For me, the Book of Lists was one of the things that fed that world-saving superpower. Sir, I have every intention of chasing down that man who stole your wallet, but first I must tell you about the ten most famous noses in history. Number one, Cyrano. So yeah, I like lists. I just don't like when they're bullcrap. And as I focus my superpower from remembering trivia such as the first television program to be broadcast in color, the Patty Page Show, unless you count the 1954 Tournament of Roses Parade, Two, storing information that will help us all be healthier, happier, and save the world. I find I receive a multitude of relevant listicles around these topics on a daily basis. And yes, I read them. And today, I collected a random sample so I could first of all demonstrate what a tortured soul I am, and second, to help us all fine-tune our bullcrap detectors. So let's get started. The first list comes from Livestrong.com, and I have links to all these lists in the show notes. And if you're worried about any potential taint between Livestrong and professional scumbag Lance Armstrong, ignore it for now. Trust me, it's not relevant, and scumbag or no, Lance Armstrong's work with the Foundation is admirable. As far as the info on Livestrong is concerned, I find it to be in the upper 50th percentile of quality when it comes to health and wellness-based content, but not very deep into that upper 50th percentile. Anyway, they sent me a list called Eight Tricks to Rev Metabolism. Revving your metabolism is a good thing if you like to eat, because it means less of the food you eat turns into fat. What are the tricks? First, there's weight training. 
But I'm going to expand that and say, why not call it resistance training instead? Then it's a really good recommendation. Whether you're male or female, resistance training, when done properly, is the superior exercise for both short-term and long-term metabolism increases. When you perform resistance training to failure, that is, you perform the exercise till you can't perform it anymore, you break down muscle tissue. The body ends up burning extra calories to repair that tissue. And when resistance exercise is paired with a well-balanced diet, the body usually overcompensates in its repair process and makes the muscles bigger than they were the last time. Your body then needs to increase its calorie burn to maintain those muscles going forward. And that increase is also known as increased metabolism. Note that bro science of lift heavy doesn't apply here. You get the same benefits lifting 100 pounds 10 times to failure that you would if you lifted 25 pounds 100 times to failure. This is why I say weight training is the wrong word. Body weight training, resistant bands, and so on all have the same effect. No gym required. The second trick is drink more water. You probably do need to drink more water than you do, but this whole eight glasses a day thing is a myth. Individual needs vary by individual. I take exception to this being metabolism revving trick. Dehydration does lower metabolism, and many people go through life mildly dehydrated. Proper hydration gets your metabolism to where it should be. It doesn't rev it to new heights. So just drink some water. Metabolism normalization is not the only or even the best reason to do so. Trick three is to make your bathroom breaks mini workouts. But when you read this, what they're really saying is to use bathroom breaks as a reminder to throw in a few extra push-ups or jumping jacks or squats or something like that. These exercises will increase the calories you burn throughout the day if they're in addition to your normal activity and if they don't equate to being more prone to lazying around later. I have no idea why Livestrong links this to bathroom breaks. Maybe because they know you're definitely going to go to the bathroom throughout the day. But this assumes you spend your day somewhere where you won't look like an idiot dropping and giving 20 before entering the loo. A better recommendation is to do these kind of exercises immediately before and a half hour after eating. This maximizes your muscle intake of extra glucose in the blood, so it ends up being stored as energy for those muscles instead of turning into fat on your body. Trick four is to eat more protein. There are a lot of good reasons to eat sufficient protein. I'm throwing a challenge flag that metabolism revving is one of them. Digestion of protein does increase your metabolism, but the amount's negligible. You should eat protein because it's filling and because it helps build the muscles you're developing by doing resistance exercise. And that resistance exercise is what's revving your metabolism. Number five is interval training. Interval training, sometimes referred to as high intensity interval training, or HIIT, or HIT, is a technique in which you perform sequences of exercise at a balls out sprint rate and alternate those high intensity bouts with slower resting rate versions. Intervals can be done with any combination of running, swimming, cycling, rowing, resistance training, square dancing, etc. Next up on the Ocho Cotton, we bring you the Square Dancing World Championships. Dunk for the oyster and dive for the clam. Interval training does indeed rev up the metabolism. Unlike steady state cardio exercises such as jogging, 
Intervals keep your metabolism revved well after you get back home and chug that first beer. I wrote a blog post about interval training called Don't Waste Your Time Exercising, and I include a link in the show notes for this episode. The next trick is core and balance training. Now Livestrong's showing that they really don't have eight ideas. What they're saying is, while you're doing your resistance training, interval training, and potty break training, make sure you're attending to your core. The muscles that make up your core, those above your thigh and below your chest, are the largest muscles in the body. The more you stress them, the higher your metabolism. And balance training, such as exercising on an unsteady surface, almost always targets the core. The next trick is fidgeting. Don't sit still. Duh. Move more is just more of the same idea they told us. And the last idea is to eat fiber. Like with protein, there's a lot of good reasons to make sure you eat fiber especially, as any South Park fan knows, this time of year. But the metabolism-raising abilities of fiber or any food, it's just negligible. But wait, there's more. Livestrong includes a valuable bonus trick at no extra cost. That trick is active rest days. What they mean is stay busy. Do errands and chores that make you move around on days you're not working out. It's a great idea, but this is yet another iteration of Move More. All in all, the Livestrong 8 tricks get high marks in my book because none of the ideas are really bad for you. But I give them an incomplete because there's really only five unique ideas and two of those don't really touch metabolism. The next list is from a site called Mind Body Green, an independent wellness content provider. They're a wild card when it comes to reliability and they're offering up their prediction of 11 wellness trends to watch for 2017. Number one. Nutrition gets personal. MindBodyGreen asserts that as costs come down for DNA tests and poop tests for scoping out your microbiome and other fancy tests, the personalized nutrition plans will become easier to develop and more effective. Plans will include what types of food you should eat and exactly what part of the day is best for you to eat them, based on what they learned from this testing. And it's true. Your specific genome, gut bacteria, allergies, and sensitivities all influence your optimal diet. But science still doesn't know crap about this crap. That may not stop charlatans from selling solutions in 2017, but those solutions will still be snake oil. Their plans will be wrong, but they'll still likely drive good results because they'll aim towards the very same five mantras I offer in the Karma Sense Eating Plan. And those mantras add up to eat more real food and less crap. You don't need expensive personalized plans to do that. The section on personalized nutrition ends with this quote. A study published this August adds scientific credibility to the trend. It found that, quote, personalized nutrition advice help people to make bigger and more appropriate changes to their diets than the conventional healthy eating advice, which was followed by our control group, unquote. I fully agree with this quote. And when you look at the primary source for the study and not MindBodyGreen's distillation of it, you also see this quote. There was no evidence that personalization based on more complex information made any difference to the outcome. This is the exact opposite of what MindBodyGreen predicts. The study says a simple one-on-one -on -one conversation with a nutrition or health coach achieves these results without the need for expensive tests and plans. This type of personalized nutrition isn't a new trend. People like me have been doing it for years. Believe me, I'm not trendy, 
I'm here dropping Easter eggs for 12-year-old movies and 20-year-old TV shows that stopped being funny 15 years ago. If you're interested in specifics on why nutrition plans based on things like your genome or gut bacteria are premature, read my last blog post. I include a link in the show notes. The second wellness trend is fashion minimalism. I'm a dude and I don't get fashion. I really didn't understand the point of this part when I read it, and I read it several times. It has something to do with people wearing simpler clothes. But for me, unless people are walking around in clown suits, I don't even notice clothes. Mrs. H often comments on shoes some woman wore at a party, and my response is, she had feet? I'm not sure how fashion minimalism is a wellness trend, but if it means women will stop asking men if their asses look big in these pants, I suppose I could see how it's good for some people's health. Wellness trend number three is the sobriety movement. According to Mind Body Green, fewer people will be drinking and more people will stop taking drugs in 2017 in the name of wellness. I'll buy that. I intend to reduce my drinking in 2017 too. I already started as a way to set a shining example after I did episode 10 of the Foodcast, Pink Elephants in the Room. But I still have some beefs with this prediction. First of all, remember what happened last time there was a major sobriety movement. It led to the Great Depression. I have another problem with sobriety being added to this list too, but I'll reserve it until later. Number four is, and I quote, wellness is more than yoga and meditation. It's a sensory experience, unquote. I understand this one even less than fashion minimalism. I think what they're trying to say is that specialized centers for mindfulness and mind-body awareness will begin popping up on more street corners and Starbucks and Subway. That's right. Coming soon to a strip ball near you. McMindfulness. I kid. I believe in the benefits of a mindfulness practice, and anything that exposes more people to its benefits is okay in my book. Wellness trend number five. Ugly foods take center stage. Like the Island of Misfit Toys on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, fruits and vegetables that have lumps and dimples and weird appendages often get discarded to an island of their own. In New York, that would be Staten Island, the city dump. There's nothing wrong with these foods that can't be fixed with a little love. People just bypass them in favor of the eggplant that looks like the emoji. Suck it up, folks. And no, that wasn't some underhanded eggplant emoji joke. I could see the late night TV ad now. Hi, I'm Davey H. Please say you'll be the answer for an innocent tomato who's suffering right now, or a kohlrabi that needs your help. Please dig through the bin of carrots in your supermarket and take home that weird one with the conjoined twins. Trend number six, mezcal. That's right, the same year we're all going sober, Mezcal will be our new beverage of choice. And how does Mind Body Green justify its Mezcal wellness cachet? Because it isn't as popular as tequila is, so it's not made in huge production factories. Okay, but if it becomes popular, won't that change? But to cement Mezcal's wellness cred, Mind Body Green defers to a true wellness professional, a bartender who says, it's healthier than a lot of spirits out there. It comes from a plant. And plants are in style. I suppose he's right. And according to wellness trend number two and number five, if the mezcal plants are minimalist and they're ugly, then they're all the more in style. Number seven, communal gathering spots for women. 
How is this a trend? Laundromats have existed for years. But seriously, like the McMindfulness trend, anything that helps women or anyone else feel more connected is okay in my book. I still don't see why you single it out as a trend, though. When I think about this, I hearken back to a modern American classic piece of television called Bojack Horseman. As one of the two people in the world who watches this Netflix cartoon, I relate to you the story arc in which Todd creates a version of Uber that's a safe place for women. In Todd's version, women don't have to worry about being hit on by creepy men drivers because they hire only women drivers. The app, called Cabracadabra, takes off. Todd, who isn't too bright, figures, since it's so popular with women, he should open it up to men as well. And he does. The result is a version of Uber for creepy men who hit on the drivers. They even use the app's built-in review system to rate a driver's bangability. So don't be surprised if these communal gathering spots follow the same course. Ridiculous, you say? Bojack Horseman is just a cartoon? None of this would ever happen? Well, as I tell you this, there are now two different women-only rideshare apps. Let's see what happens for them in a few months. Number eight, the ketogenic diet. What goes around comes around. A ketogenic diet is a low or no carbohydrate diet. Your body and brain runs on glucose. I won't make another Dunkin' Donuts joke this time because last time a listener thought I was picking on him. It's not always about you, Obama. Anyway, that glucose, as anyone who listened to episode 17, Sugar and Gluten and All Grains Highfalutin knows, comes from the carbs that you eat. If you don't eat carbs, your body and brain transitions to ketones, a source of energy created from your fat cells. When your body's making ketones, it's losing fat. The problem most people have with ketogenic diets is that they can take from a few days to a few weeks before your body gets used to ketones as its main energy source. People feel like crap during that period, but once they make it to the other side, things change. People in ketosis often claim to feel more energetic, mentally alert, handsome, elegant, intelligent, and sweet. Okay, those last four are really a description of McGill Gorilla. He's really ideal. But another real outcome is that often people's cravings for sugar and other carbohydrates totally disappear. People can live in ketosis indefinitely. It's not dangerous. Some people confuse it with a fatal condition called ketoacidosis, which is not the same thing. But although you can thrive in this state indefinitely, few people do. Many of the popular diets of the past and present, including Atkins, South Beach, Sugar Busters, Bulletproof, Intermittent Fasting, and some strains of paleo and grain-free all depend on you being in ketosis at some point. Not really a new trend. Mushrooms hit the list at number nine. You see, Mom, I told you those mushrooms you found stuffed in my dresser were for my health. In this entry, Mind Body Green says mushrooms are the superfood follow-up to the acai berry, a berry from the Amazon region that's expensive, tastes like turmeric in your kasha varnishkas, and is no more powerful than the common Hamilton, New Jersey blueberry. Go Blue Devils. If superfoods were superheroes, then I'd be the crusty old dad of the superhero's significant other who doesn't believe the superhero even exists. But with mushrooms, I'll make an exception. Mushrooms are packed with essential vitamins, including vitamin D, one of the most common vitamins for people to have a deficiency. There are many different varieties of mushrooms, each with their own flavor and nutrient profile and they have a very low calorie density. Mushrooms are a food that people either love or hate. If you can stand the taste of mushrooms, 
Don't wait until 2017 to eat them. Good call, Mind Body Green. I don't know if shrooms are a trend, but they're great advice. The penultimate Mind Body Green trend is infrared saunas. Most saunas work through the process of convection. The air is heated and pushed towards you, the saunee. Infrared saunas use the light spectrum to heat your body. They've been around for years, but have problems keeping your entire body toasty. They have cold spots. New technology addresses these shortcomings. Between those developments and the fact that infrared saunas are cheaper for the owner to maintain, sauna users among you will probably see more infrared versions in the future. Another advantage of infrared versions is that they can operate at a cooler temperature and still result in a crap load of sweating. People are more comfortable being in the sauna at this lower temperature. But despite what you may have heard, sweating doesn't detoxify your body. So if that's the reason for your saunaing, forget it. Spending time in extreme temperature conditions, whether hot or cold, is indeed good for driving metabolism. Cold is probably better, but in my opinion, being cold really sucks and being hot is really cool. Also, this kind of heat has therapeutic qualities for both mental and physical health. It's why hospitals and physical therapy clinics are longtime users of infrared treatments. I guess this is a decent prediction for Mind Body Green. The 11th and final trend is affordable, accessible wellness. I sure hope so. Being well shouldn't be the domain of the upper class. Lower cost gyms, healthy, fast, casual restaurants, and the democratization of organic foods are indeed something we're starting to see. Chipotle, when they're not trying to poison us, Sweet Green, Workout World, Planet Fitness, Whole Foods 365 brand, and all these transition to additive free foods are all good signs. Of the 11 trends, we need more like this, and less of the touchy-feely meditation drive through window stuff. By my count, maybe four, or a generous five of the Mind Body Green 11 trends are actually something that benefits society and individuals. But I suppose we have to wait until next year before giving Mind Body Green a pass or a fail on their list of 11 trends. Don't worry, I'll remember to check. The next list comes to us from the New York Times. Motto? All the corrections fit to print. They offer up a list of nine ways to improve your love life. You know what? On second thought, I better study this one a little bit harder. After all those misogynist jokes about women in laundromats, shoes, big butt questions, and bangability, I got some splaining to do with Mrs. H. Okay, here's a fun one from Thrill List. Commonly mispronounced food words. I'll describe the food. Pause so you can think about how you say it, and then I'll tell you how I did. First on the list is that Thai chili sauce with the rooster on the bottom. The correct pronunciation is Sriracha. Most people get hung up on that R that shows up as the second letter. That was never my problem. I always called it Sriracha, and apparently it's the long E sound in the accents on the second syllable. Next is those French donuts that are popular in New Orleans. Those are beignets. I never had a problem with those. How about that star-shaped licorice flavored spice? Anise. Again, I didn't have a problem with that. Next is that steak sauce. It starts with the letter W. I always knew it was Worcestershire, but I just chose to call it Worcestershire because of that Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh, yeah.
Next is those cut up carrots and celery and other vegetables you serve as an hors d'oeuvre with a dip. I always knew they were called crudite, but if I saw it written down, I'd pronounce it crudite. I never put the two together and never knew they were the same thing. I'm a dumbass. Okay, next are those berries from the Amazon that I talked about in an earlier segment. Acai berries. Since they came into the scene when I was starting up my KarmaSense practice, every article that introduced them included a pronunciation, so I never had a problem with this either. Next are those little Italian potato dumplings. They're gnocchi. I always called them gnocchi, and for that my son will never forgive me. What about that French seafood stew in the tomato broth? It's bouillabaisse. I always pronounced it bouillabaisse with the L. Despite my many years of French, both semesters, I forgot about that whole dropping the last letter sound thing. What about that yogurt dressing you get with a gyro? I learned it was tzatziki a few years ago, but I called it tzatziki up until that point. How about the Vietnamese beef noodle soup? Now that was a trend I was onto in the early 80s because the DC area had lots of pho parlors, but I always pronounced it pho until about three years ago. In retrospect, now that I pronounce it correctly, it makes that restaurant I used to call the Pho King's name that much funnier. Okay, Italian tomato and onion salad lathered on bread. I called it bruschetta, but it's bruschetta. It's another error that ruined my son's life when he moved to heavily Italian New Jersey. What about that cured Italian pork cheek that starts with a G? Apparently it's guanciale. My son didn't ridicule me for that one. I've never said it out loud before right now, so he couldn't have. Okay, there's a super duper protein grain that starts with Q. I always knew that one was quinoa, but I love the commercial where the guy's grilling veggie burgers and he calls it quino. How about Greek sliced lamb on a pita? It starts with a G. Well, you already heard me mispronounce that one. I don't know if I'll ever learn to pronounce it correctly. Yiro. Next is batter-fried stuffed chili peppers. It's relleno, and I knew that because I took more than two semesters of Spanish. And lastly, that feller who hosts diners, drive throughs and dives. Correct answer? I don't care. And that's the end of this list, folks. None of us will ever get those five minutes back again. Two more lists. One short, the other's fun. First, we have Pop Sugar's five things to stop doing if you want to lose weight. Number one, having cutoff time for eating. If you're operating under the impression that you shouldn't eat after a certain time of day, say 8 p.m. because that food gets stored as fat, Pop Sugar is right and you're wrong. All that matters is the total calories you eat throughout the day. All you have to do is look to the people of Spain. They don't eat dinner until 10 p.m. or so. And they've always been a pretty svelte people, at least until they started eating like the rest of us. Number two is deprivation. Totally depriving yourself of the food you crave, according to Pop Sugar, is a recipe for disaster. I say it depends. Sometimes when you go cold turkey, you shake the craving. It really depends on your mindset and your ability to separate mental cravings from physical ones. Number three is subscribing to a low-fat diet. This one's more right than wrong, 
but it's not absolute. Fat isn't bad for you, and that part is right. Some people will do a better job losing weight on a low-fat diet, however. These are people who tend to order the 48-ounce porterhouse every time they go out to eat, and they go out to eat three or four times a week. Or the people who live off the supersized value menu at McDonald's. But people who go to a low-fat diet and eat low-fat cookies, cakes, and yogurt are swapping one problem for another. Number four is skipping out on meals. Ugh. They're claiming that old meal skipping will decrease your metabolism myth. It's wrong. Living with a sustained calorie deficit does decrease your metabolism. But skipping meals here or there won't do that. If you, for example, delay your first meal of the day until early afternoon and decrease your overall calorie intake by a few hundred calories, you'll lose weight and your metabolism can handle it. And number five is just exercising. This one's right. Study after study shows that you lose weight by adjusting your diet. You maintain your new lower weight by exercising. And that's it for the pop sugar list. Of all of them, I think this one illustrates the problem with wellness-based listicles in general. They attempt to distill facts and guidelines that are filled with subtlety and nuance into tiny little sound bites that may have some degree of truth, but they're also flat out wrong. The last list is from Paste, and it's the 10 iconic foods from Seinfeld. That list is chocolate babka, black and white cookies, big salads, any soup Nazi soup, marble rye, muffin tops, Poppy's pizza, Kenny Rogers roasters, mangoes, which is a deep cut from the first season, and calzone, one of many George Steinbrenner episodes. Come on, Paste. Why do you even bother with that list? Despite Seinfeld being about nothing, it's about food. Beefarino, Junior Mints, Kit Kats versus Twix. Get specific on the Soup Nazi episode. We're talking mulligatawny with lima beans, despite Elaine not being a fan. Ye Rose, Lost in the Subway. Stopping for Juji Fruits before visiting your boyfriend in the hospital. And of course, low-fat yogurt. The gang gain weight because the low-fat yogurt they enjoy really contains fat. This is yet another episode that doesn't stand the test of time. Because, as we all know by now, they probably gained weight because that low-fat yogurt actually was low-fat. And the last episode of 2016, the list episode, comes to an end. I singled out over 20 different lists, but only talked about a small subset. If you want to check out the whole list of lists, a recursion in action, a meta list, if you will, check out the show notes. If you have questions about any, want me to comment on some, or have a list of your own you're wondering about, let me know and I'll get on it. Please, 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 if you want the show to continue and get better, review and comment on iTunes. In the meantime, have a great holiday and New Year's. I'm going to be brushing up on my list from the New York Times of the nine ways to improve my love life with the hopes that it'll prevent Mrs. H from making a list of her own.
problem is all inside your head, she said to me. The answer is easy if you take it logically. I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. She said it's really not my habit to intrude. Furthermore, I hope my meaning won't be lost or misconstrued. But I'll repeat myself. At the risk of being crude, there must be 50 ways to leave your lover. 50 ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, stand. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. 